0: And the branches. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be You are already clean because of the word spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, but remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit you remain in me, I am the vine, branch. If you remain in me, bear much fruit. Apart from me, if you do not remain in me, like the branch that is thrown away and withers, such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have you. Now remain in my hand. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my hand, just as I have kept my friend. I have told you this, so that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than to lay down one's life as friends. You are my friends, do what I I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his business. Instead, I have called you friends everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, you so that you might go and bear fruit. That will last so that whatever you ask in my name, Father will give you. This is my command love each other. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. You belong to the world, love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the but I have chosen you out of it. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. a servant is not greater than the master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they obey my teaching, they will obey yours. I treat you this way, because of my name, but they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father. If I had not done among them works, no one else did, they would not be guilty. As it is, they have seen, yet they have hated hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. When the advocate comes, I will send you, Father, the spirit of truth that goes out from He will testify, he also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning.
1: We focus on verses one to eight of this passage. But before we do that, I just wanted to mention why we have heard the whole chapter read. This chapter, chapter 15, forms part of a passage of teaching from Jesus that covers chapters 14 through to 16 in the Gospel of John and it then is followed and culminates in Jesus' prayer for the disciples and all who would follow him for the world in chapter 17. It is a body of teaching only included in John's Gospel and it is sandwiched between Jesus predicting his betrayal at the Last Supper which we will commemorate shortly and then followed by Judas committing the act of betrayal at Gethsemane. And although this passage speaks of prayer and fruit and love and bringing glory to God, it is not a light and fluffy piece. It speaks of the reality of persecution and opposition. If we read the whole, ver- the whole chapter, we can see that Jesus does not pull his punches. He speaks of the hatred of the world, hatred that the world will have for him and for his followers. So as we look at this passage, we will note that it is not the promise of an easy life. There are several points where it says, if you remain in me, if you remain in me, but that sentence never ends with the promise of health, wealth and worldly reward. And as if to underline that, as I said, the next thing that happens is the betrayal of Jesus. So if you're going through a tough time right now, if you have anxiety about what the new year might bring, this should reassure us that having a tough time is not because we are weak, not because our faith is not strong enough and not because God has loved us a little bit less than somebody else. The way of the Christian life is not the way of an easy life. But this passage does encourage us into a deeper relationship with God. So if you are feeling got at, if you are feeling or somebody has made you feel that because life is a bit tough, Because God is, it is because your faith is not good enough or God loves you less. Please, please take heart. That is not what the Bible teaches. And if you have the chance, could I encourage you to read through those few chapters or at least chapter 14 into 15? And I would say, if you read nothing else this year, read the Psalms and read the Gospel of John. If you wanted to read the Gospel of John, if you've never done that before, in one chapter a day you can do it in just three weeks. But you can take longer and ponder over it. If you look at just chapters 14 and 15 and with a highlighter, you can print it off if you don't like putting highlighter in your Bible. uh, Mark out the bits that that overlap. You will see that there are so many themes the overlap between these chapters, the themes of love, of glorifying God, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the theme of answered prayer. These things all speak into this intense period of teaching that Jesus gives. But let's go, as I promised, to verses 1 to 8. Uh, Verse 1 to 4, set the tone. It starts with the last of Jesus' I am sayings. And that's another thing that is unique to John, the I am sayings. The other examples we may be familiar with I am the bread of life, I am living water, I am the good shepherd. There are others, there are seven. And Jesus is speaking to those who would not yet be his disciples, not yet be his followers. The I am the bread of life and living water, they speak of him and define him as God's saving grace. He is the embodiment of the way to life. But here, Jesus is speaking to his followers, to his disciples. They have already embraced him as the way to life. And his final I am is I am the true vine. And we know that these people that he's speaking to are his followers because he declares them clean in verse 3. He says, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. These are people that have placed their trust in Jesus and experienced the inner cleansing that can only be found in him and his words. So when he says, remain in me, it is to those who were followers then and to those who are followers now. It's to any of us who have committed ourselves to following Jesus. And he calls himself the true vine, first in relationship to God, who is described as the gardener or the vine keeper in verse one. We should not be surprised that God is referred to as the gardener. This is not new imagery. It occurs throughout the Old Testament, and I've referred to it several times. We see it particularly in the prophecies of Isaiah, where Israel is often referred to as God's vineyard. God's vineyard. And this metaphor is picked up in the other Gospels, and Jesus uses it in some of his parables. We had... Uh, some of the parables we went through last year. The parable of the workers who get paid the same whether they work a whole day or just an hour. The parable of the wicked tenants who beat up the servants and then kill the vineyard owner's son. These are all images with God as the vine keeper and Israel as the vine. It is not new. What is unusual, and if there's something in our reading that is unusual, it's often a teaching point in the Bible. What is new is that Jesus calls himself the vine. It is not Israel. He is the true vine. So in Jesus we see the embodiment of the fulfilment of God's promises. The true vine is not Israel, and it is not the church, but Jesus. And if we see him in the centrality of this image of the vine, it helps us to understand what it means to remain in him and for us to understand the fruit the branches should produce. Having established that the picture is with God as the vinekeeper, Jesus keeps the focus on God as the one who tends the vine, but also takes what might seem drastic action with branches that are not not fruitful. And he tends the ones who are fruitful to make them even more fruitful. Any gardener, and I'm not any gardener, will tell you of the improvements that can be made through some wise and timely pruning. My mother's birthday was last week. And if you were here, you may have had some of her birthday cake, but she was given a rose. And frankly, it looks like a bit of stick in the pot. But because my mum is a better gardener than me, I have every confidence that in the spring, it will show that the pruning was wise and that it will produce beauty and flowers. But Jesus has not yet said who the branches are. That will come later. The vine needs the care and attention of the vine keeper, even as the vine is itself the source of life to the branches. It's just basic horticulture that the branches need to stay attached to the vine to keep growing and to keep producing fruit. If the branches become detached from the vine not only do they not bear fruit but they wither and die and we have a photograph i hope there we go you might have seen this photograph before to illustrate that point the branch on the left has lost its roots but it stays attached it stays alive because it is attached to the source of life that branch still Uh, In the spring, comes out in leaf because it gets its life from the main tree. And that is the picture. I know it's not a vine. I know it's not a vine, but it illustrates that point really well. That we need to stay attached. The branches need to stay attached to the source of life. And it is when we reach verse 4. Jesus gives his clear imperative, remain in me. This phrase is then repeated five times in verses four to seven, five times. Sometimes it's if you remain in me and sometimes it's unless you remain in me. If you remain in me or unless you remain in me, but this phrase is significant. In other translations, it might be abide in me or make your dwelling in me. It all means the same thing. We need to remain in Christ. This is one of those themes that overlaps from chapter 14. In chapter 14, Jesus says, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. It's about indwelling. In chapter 14, Jesus is speaking of the mutual indwelling of the Father and the Son. He is emphasising that the work he does, the works he does, are the works of the Father. It is an affirmation of Jesus as part of the Godhead, fully God and fully human. God is Father, Son and Spirit. And then in chapter 15, this theme of indwelling is extended to those who would be his followers. We have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit also being an overlap between chapter 14 and 15. Please don't think that I'm suggesting that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit changes our nature. We remain mere human, but we have the gift of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us because Jesus says, remain in me. He doesn't say, remain with me, or remain following me. He says, says, remain in me. When he says this to his disciples, it is therefore a much deeper, deeper sense than a simple affirmation of initial belief. If it were that, he would not need to speak these words to those who were already his disciples. This is a much more profound message and accompanying warning than a simple invitation to believe. (coughs) Remain in me is a call to ongoing discipleship in the outworking of the indwelling of God's Holy Spirit in our lives. Discipleship has the same meaning as apprenticeship. It is learning from the teacher. It is the student's skills being honed by the expertise and experience of one who has trod the path before, who has years of experience, and who can mould the pupil. Remaining in Christ, then, is about being a true disciple, a true apprentice, being changed, honed learning making sacrifices keeping going on the journey as followers of jesus jesus is saying to his disciples much more than simply continue to believe remaining in christ is an active choice it is not being passive there's a different tense in the verb that is used, uh, which I don't understand and can't explain fully, Uh, all I know is that it is active, not static. If we use the word remain in our ordinary English, it means stay, don't move. You are where you need to be. But here it's much more than that. It's about activity. It's about making a bold decision to remain in Christ. He is encouraging his followers to continue discipleship in him. And he explains why. He explains why in verses five to eight, which he starts off by reiterating what he has said in verse one. I am the vine. And then he gives the parallel to what he has said before. Before, he said he was the vine in relation to God, the vine-keeper. But in parallel, he is the vine in relation to his disciples. As in verse 6, he clearly says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Something that could have been inferred before, but he now makes clear. With Jesus as the vine, therefore, we see the interdependency of Jesus on God the Father and of the disciples on Jesus. This is where the active nature of remaining in Christ is brought into focus. The sequence in these verses is circular, uh, but straightforward, reiterating what has been said once and then says it again in reverse order. Remain in me and you will bear fruit. Unless you remain in me, you will not bear fruit. As I said, that's just basic horticulture. Cut branches may bud briefly if they still have water, but they only give the appearance of life. In truth, they will wither long before any fruit is formed. And this passage has already been pretty clear on what happens to branches that do not bear fruit. Verses 2 and 6 both tell us they are removed by the vinekeeper. Verse 6 goes as far to say that they will be thrown into the fire and burned. This teaching coming just after Jesus has predicted his betrayal by Judas, you wonder if he is the branch that is in mind there. But the gardener, the vinekeeper, nurtures and prunes to increase the fruit. Of the living branches. A branch does not need much fruit to produce, to prove that it is alive. It may be weak and the pruning may seem pretty harsh or even counterintuitive, but a loving God will increase fruit. So remaining in Christ, remain in me, is an active imperative, not static. And we remain in Christ so that we produce fruit. But what fruit is the vinekeeper after? Whilst we may automatically just think Jesus is speaking of new converts, and let us hope that we see that type of fruit too, this passage is also speaking of the fruit of ongoing discipleship, and dare I suggest, deepening discipleship. As I've pointed out, Jesus is about to be crucified, resurrected, and then ascend into heaven. The relationship the disciples had with him is about to fundamentally change. They were struggling to even begin to grasp the enormity of what was happening. And in that intense time, Jesus speaks this message. Remain in me. He is preparing them and giving them this important message to keep them going when their relationship is going to have to continue in the absence of having Jesus in the flesh. These disciples had had a unique perspective on Jesus. Their apprenticeship was of living with him, hearing him speak, eating with him, having a laugh, I'm sure, with him. Their relationship as his followers was closer than any other followers can really begin to imagine. And although he was about to leave them in the flesh, their discipleship is not about to end. It's going to change. And this is what he says to them, remain in me. The disciples are going to have to work out what that means, what ongoing discipleship looks like with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and not with the physical presence of Jesus. Jesus wants them to be active and decisive in continuing their life of discipleship. Unlike a trade apprenticeship where eventually the pupil can say they are fully qualified and fully trained, the disciples continue. And our discipleship continues. We read in the Bible what it looked like for them, particularly in the book of Acts. And we need to continue to work out what that looks like for us. Jesus says, remain in me and you will produce fruit. So at the start of this year, we might want to take some time to think about what does that look like for us. At the beginning of last year, as a fellowship, we reflected that we began 2023 in a challenging place. Our congregation was smaller. Our membership was smaller. Our diaconate was smaller than it had been 12 months previously. And at that point, I invited us to pray Hosea 10:12 for the fellowship throughout the year. I ought to kind of see if you can remember it, but <laughs> sow righteousness for yourselves, reap the fruit of unfailing love and break up your unplowed ground for it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers his righteousness on you and we have prayed this in our services we prayed it in our day of prayer and fasting i know it has been prayed over coffee in personal devotions it's been prayed when the fridge door has been opened or over the washing up depending on where you put it and we can give thanks to god for the answers to that prayer we give thanks to him that our congregation is larger our membership is larger and our diaconate is larger than it was at the beginning of last year. We give thanks to him that we had our first baptism in I think six or seven years, and not just one, but a triple baptism. And we're in the Baptist times, by the way. (coughs) Our triple baptism is in the Baptist times. We give thanks to God that we have more people respond to our Christmas invitations this year than ever before by some considerable margin. We thank God for new people at Ducklings and new people that have visited Oasis. We thank him for the opportunities where we have sought to break up the unplowed ground and we have met new people. We have enjoyed getting to know new people. But that does not mean our work is done or that we can be static, that we can remain where we are. The passage that we have looked at calls us to actively embrace continuing in our discipleship, going deeper in our discipleship. And that is the invitation I place before us at the start of this year. Do you, do we, do I? Do we want to remain in Christ? Do we want to declare that, yes, we want to be true disciples, growing as apprentices? Do we want to stay attached to the true vine and bear fruit? Do we want to be active, not passive, in our journey of Christ-likeness? Are we willing to be pruned, where necessary, in ways that may seem harsh or counterintuitive, yet are necessary for God to increase increase the fruit of discipleship in us. God's pruning is sometimes something that we may be, we recoil against. But let us always remember that he does it out of love, to increase the fruit of discipleship. Verse 8 tells us that by bearing fruit, the outcome is twofold. The first is that we will glorify God. And the second is that we will show we are his true disciples. We live in a world that has heard it all before. A world that dismisses Christianity as old-fashioned fairy tales or only sees Christianity as it is portrayed on social media with its depressing bickering and judgmentalism. What the world needs is disciples that are deepening their relationship with God, living out their discipleship, that are bearing the fruit of true discipleship in a way that only points to the one who is the one in whom they dwell. So this year, as I invited us to pray Hosea 10:12 last year, I invite us to pray John 15:4. For each other and as our verse throughout this year at WBC. We've got a a slide with it on. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And as last year, if you want to take up that challenge, if you want to say, yes, I may not be bearing much fruit, but I want to bear more fruit. If you want to stay attached to the true vine, if you want to know the life that is in Christ, I encourage you to pray it. There's a postcard you can take away today. You can take two, one for the fridge door and one for your Bible or wherever you want to do it. But take that away. And as a fellowship, let us embrace this principle that we will remain in Christ, that we will continue in fellowship with him. We bore the fruit last year and we thank God for his faithfulness. Let us continue to be on that journey. Let us pray. Loving God, You love us and you challenge us. Lord, we thank you for the gift of being in you, the gift of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for that inner sense of peace and hope that we receive when we come to faith in you. But Lord, you call us into deeper discipleship Lord, help us to work out what that means for us in 2024. We will all face different challenges and discipleship will look different perhaps for each of us. It may even look different as a, from what it was for us in 2023. Different challenges will bring different opportunities to deepen our relationship with you. But help us, I pray to live as true disciples being honed and changed to be willing to make the sacrifice and being willing to accept the pruning that we might grow and show ourselves to be true disciples to a world that needs to know how much they are loved by god and that we may be true disciples that our lives our whole lives might bring glory to you in jesus name amen